is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Just add rain. Is that what has happened to the national sheep markets in response to last week's widespread rainfall? Prices are on the way up and have they gone up enough? Farmers are often told not to be price takers but to be price makers and go it out alone and maybe create some niche or important uh, meat products that they can market to consumers through restaurants or farmers markets. But getting your animals killed is proving to be a very difficult process for those smaller producers. And we'll talk about the difficulties being faced in this state on this program shortly. A whole lot more coming up right now, though. Let's get some rural news with Emma Field. Good afternoon, Emma. G'day, Warwick. Federal Greens Senator Hanson Young travelled to Menindee in New South Wales yesterday to meet with a group of locals and get a tour of the area ahead of a vote which could change the way the Murray-Darling Basin is managed. The Greens hold the balance of power in the Senate along with several independents and have the leverage to make modifications in the upcoming vote over the Water Amendment Restoring Our Rivers Bill 2023. Senator Hanson Young is supportive of purchasing more water for the environment and says in particular there needs to be greater focus on extraction in the Northern Basin. It's easy to be greedy when you're at the front of the system. When you're first in line at the queue, you can take as much as you want. If you're, if you're at the end of the queue, uh, you can only take what's left. There needs to be a much fairer share of the water resources. The environment's got to get the cut it needs to survive. Communities need to make sure we have clean drinking water. And then, and then we can think about what type of, uh, what's, uh, what type of usage goes to you know, corporate and uh, industry interests. Western Australia's cotton growers are experiencing a boom in prices to coincide with more processing. The price of cotton is now sitting at the highest it's been all year, at over $700 a bale. Cotton from the Ord Valley in northern WA is being ginned in southern Queensland as we speak, allowing growers to take advantage of high prices. Cotton trader Peter Johnson says it's a perfect combination of great prices and great quality for a small but growing industry. Over the last few months, the cotton market's really sort of taken a taken a pretty good run run up. Uh, we were looking at prices around six hundred and fifty dollars a bale. Ex these East Coast gins back in May June. Right now, where values are kicking up towards seven hundred and beyond. So today, I've I've just sold cotton at seven hundred and ten dollars a bale, and um, it's it, it's good. We've got China coming back into the market which is part of it, and the US crop has basically been edging backwards over the last few months with drought in Texas really taking the cream out of that crop. And new glass houses at the Tamworth Ag Institute are cutting the time it takes to breed new plant varieties in half. To celebrate 75 years of research and development, the Institute opened its doors to the public. Dr Asan Asif says the glasshouses only became operational in the middle of this year and it will speed up the breeding process. You know, we are pretty excited to get these glasshouses. So we got special LED lights in these glasshouses. Um, so using these uh, new LED lights in these glasshouses, we can reduce the variety development process to... Uh, half. So usually the variety development process takes 10 to 12 years, but thanks to these latest glass houses and these special LED lights, 
Uh, now we can breed the varieties in half of that time. That's six years. So mm -hmm. that really uh, improves our efficiency and definitely there are quite big benefits for the growers. And the Alice Springs Rodeo was on this weekend with a new type of competitor being allowed to take part for the first time. A group of inmates from the Alice Springs Correctional Centre were, for the first time, allowed to participate in the local rodeo as part of a program to reduce reoffending and help them prepare for a life back in society. Jefferson Woody was one of those and before his ride he was pretty excited. Bummed, scared, but yeah, good. Never, never seen a bull in my life. Just spent most of my time beyond bars. So yeah, it's a new experience, life experience, you know, try to get the best out of it, meet new people. Because I spent a long time already beyond, you know, good to get reintegration and actually do meet new people so I can fit in the community when I do come out. And this could, this could be something I could get in, interested in too, you know. And how did Jefferson go? Well, let's have a listen. He was definitely nervous, but he jumped on that bull and he gave it his all. He didn't quite make the required eight seconds and the ABC was unable to interview him, but from afar, it looks like he will be back. And that wraps up Rural News. Great to hear. Thank you very much for that, Emma Field. Emma Field there with Rural News for you on this Monday. We'll come closer to home than the Alice Springs Rodeo right now, though, on the Country Hour. We're along with you today. Let's talk about the meat you can buy or the specialty meat you get when you go out to maybe eat at that fancy restaurant. The future of Victoria's paddock-to-plate industry is in danger after multiple abattoirs have banned the processing of animals for local Victorian farmers. Farmers have been given no explanation from these abattoirs, but many believe the changes are due to the huge influx of livestock entering sale yards and abattoirs and the meat system, causing major delays and staff shortages. But this means local meat is off the menu at many of the state's restaurants and butchers, as Eden Henninen reports. It took Drew Simons years to save up enough money to buy his farm in Eddington in central Victoria, where he farms goats, sheep and cattle. For the past few years, he's been selling his goat meat to butchers in Sydney and Melbourne, who then supply local restaurants. But that all came to a sudden halt when Hardwick's abattoir in Kyneton stopped taking his goats overnight. Yeah, we can't, we can't get them processed locally and sent to, um, sent to our butcher shops. We'll have to go two and a half, three hours away to get them processed, which is, it's unethical on the animal and um, just overnight. And he's not alone. In September, organic producers were also told that their animals would not be accepted at Hardwick's. Mr Simons believes many may now leave the industry. Here we are in central Victoria and there's two abattoirs that will service kill these goats. They, there's 37 or something abattoirs, I think, 37 in Victoria, and two of them within, you know, three hours away, that'll do it. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. 
In Barham on the New South Wales-Victoria border, pig farmer Lauren Mathers recently expanded her business to chickens. But it hasn't been an easy transition. She's been told by her abattoir in Melbourne that in three months' time, they will no longer be able to process her meat chickens. They don't take on any new customers, but we're really lucky to get in there. I know other chicken processors, that, like chicken growers, that can't take their birds there. So I know one producer's actually had to drive to... He's tried New South Wales, South Australia, you know all that driving you're never going to get that return back on the bird i think it's unfair that like small processes like small producers sorry have to go through that i mean we're not feeding the world we're feeding a small part of the population and people that want that sort of ethically homegrown meats they can't access them i think it's continually losing um access to abattoirs um abattoirs closing down and and foreign companies coming in and buying these bigger abattoirs, which is, you know, reducing the amount of processing time and access that we have. So we just, the future's really uncertain. These kinds of decisions are already being felt in the Melbourne restaurant scene. Ben Mitchell, the head chef at Palermo Restaurant in Melbourne CBD, has been serving suckling pig for years. But recently he had to cross it off the menu. In August, Castle Estate Abattoir in Victoria's southwest stopped processing the state's main supplier of suckling pig. Producers have been unable to process the animal anywhere else in the state. That's a supplier that we've got a really good relationship with. Um, we've been working with them for so long and not being able to use their products has meant that we're having to find alternatives that we're not really as keen on doing. Um, and as I said, building those relationships is really a key part to running a restaurant and not being able to support them as well as show our customers the best of the produce we've sourced is really disheartening really. Um, we work with a large number of suppliers, so in, uh, sort of international larger producers and some smaller ones. Um, I always prefer to work with the smaller guys. I think they do a better quality product um, at a better price um, and they really look after the welfare and the, the care of the animals. Um, not being able to follow through with that, it's, it's really disheartening. It means it limits our options within our menu offerings and as well as uh, being able to support small local Victorian businesses is, is really important to maintaining a, a good economy of uh, available products. In a response, Castle Estate says it was only temporarily not processing pork and it hopes to find a solution in the coming weeks. Australian Meat Industry Council Chief Executive Patrick Hutchinson says abattoirs do not turn away contracted livestock without good reason. Nationally, uh, we are very much at capacity. Uh, I don't think Victoria is any, in any way, shape or form different to that. Slaughter rates have certainly increased actually nationally uh, around, the, around Australia. Uh, and in fact, um, in 2022, we were up 15% on 21, and we're now 15% again above what we were in 2022. So we certainly are, and that's increasing uh, again. Often we've seen over the last, well, certainly uh, 50, 100 years, that when uh, we do have a large influx of supply livestock coming into the system, we do see that very small lots are often then having to be moved because they do take a very specific way of being processed, a specific way of being then manufactured and packed. And sometimes when you have a huge amount of livestock coming onto the system or through the system, that does then ensure that any sort of hold-ups will have far greater animal welfare concerns. So that does happen on rare occasions and it is unfortunate, but it is unfortunately where or how our system works. Mr Hutchinson says AMEC has been warning about capacity problems for years. Certainly myself uh, and the Australian Meat Industry Council has been saying 
since the absolute world record prices that farmers have received in 2020, 2021 and 2022 during the rebuild, that we were continually concerned about the fact that we were coming out of a pandemic, we were trying to rebuild our workforce, there would be capacity constraints, whereas we've seen other commentators get out there and say, breed, um, uh, that there's great opportunities, and there are fantastic opportunities with our industry. However, unfortunately, we've found ourselves that the first sign of an El Nino, uh, a warmer winter, and farmers are making some, some pretty fast decisions. Agriculture Victoria says it was aware of the challenges faced by some small Victorian producers in accessing abattoirs. And it says that the meat processing sector plays a crucial role in the overall success of Victoria's livestock industry and that it would continue to identify opportunities to support both industries. But Mr Simon says change is needed before many producers leave the industry. PrimeSafe is the regulator for the meat industry. It, uh, it needs to step in and change the licensing conditions of these, uh, of these processes and, and make them then do service kills or a percentage of service kills, say 2 or 3% for their local producers. That is Eden Eddington farmer Drew Simons ending that story from Eden Hennon. And in a response, PrimeSafe says it focuses on safety in the industry and it's not its role to change regulation. Hardwicks were also contacted for comment, as they have been many times uh, whilst we've been covering this story. It is 18 past 12 here on The Country Hour. Let's turn our attention to the rainfall of last week, the clean-up from it for some, but also what it's meant for prices in the industry as well. As I said, if you're a, a sheep or a uh, lamb producer, how are you feeling about the change in the industry and prices going up again last week? We'll look at that in depth in a moment, but if you want to send a text, 0467 842 Let's start with the flood part, though. Farmers in eastern Victoria are still cleaning up after last week's floods. Newry dairy farmer Stephen Dwyer was surprised by how much damage the flooding caused on his 100-hectare property, but he told Fiona Broom it's almost... It's also, sorry, something agricultural businesses prepare for. So we've got more damage than I actually expected. Um, we've got fences down. Luckily, we haven't lost any cattle or anything like that. We, we had calves up on the river bank and, and where I would normally put them, they would be safe and, and quite safe for quite some time. But, but this time, with the amount of water that came through, they literally just had the bank and they were luckily okay on the bank. Um, but we've lost pumps that were in the drains that I just couldn't get in time and uh, fences that are down. We've just regraded a couple of paddocks and a lot of those banks have, have been washed. It's not insurmountable, but it's just long-term damage that we just, we're just going to have to gradually clean up as we go along. So what does that clean-up process look like? Is it a couple of weeks, a couple of months? It'll be a few weeks of... Probably firstly making sure our our main fences are operational. We're going to be waiting for probably a few days before we can put tractors even on the ground. And We've got parts of our farm that we can operate out of. So we had um, hay and silage paddocks that were were ready to be um, made into silage. Um, Those paddocks are now going to be grazed by the cows and, and we'll... We will change our operation a little bit and uh, the paddocks that are down the back, hopefully, if there's not too much debris in them, um, cut them for a bit of silage and hay later on. 
as is normally the case, there's a lot of debris that's left in paddocks and you just can't see it all. So, What's the water doing at the moment? Is it moving away? It is moving away. It, it's actually been quite a quick flood, but, but a very dirty flood. The water is extremely dirty. Has the water behaved differently this time as, as previous floods? It has a lot differently. Newry was always pretty right. Newry would never get water in it um, under 59, 60,000 megalitres being released. And Southern Rural Water usually did a pretty good job of keeping it under that. And they, they actually did do that. They kept it under the, the 60,000 threshold, which is normal for, for water to come through Newry. However, this time it came through at probably around about 40,000. It started coming into the Newry Creek, um, which is completely different. And of course, it came into into our place at around the 40,000 megalitres as well through our next-door neighbours um, where it never never used to before. And I think you'd put it down to the amount of wattle that's in the river. Gippsland, of course, is no stranger to floods. Is this something that you just sort of build into your normal operational strategies for your business? We are used to the idea of having a flood. We are used to the idea of having a drought too. And we, we, are, we are just part of our operation is we know that eventually we're going to get a flood. We have banks in places that we know protect our, our land. So our houses and, and dairies are normally built on the highest land. We are used to it, but we don't necessarily want it. <laughs> is that the word? We, we do our best not to have one. And when it comes, we try to make sure that there's minimal amount of damage to us as we can. We know we've got to move stock. Everyone's different, but we all have the same motive, I suppose, in the end is actually to make sure our stock are okay, um, bring them to the closest place, onto the highest land. And if we've done that, you know, the water goes away. The rest we can deal with. But, um, you know, going through your house, water going through your house, um, stock being washed away, those sort of things are are the heartbreaking things. Uh, I think when it comes to just water on your land it goes away fences can be you know strained back up debris can be got off paddocks but you know when you when you start losing stock and you start you know having water through your house that's a different story that is uh, Stephen Dwyer uh, keeping us updated we had the little update while the water was moving through his property and that's more on the cleanup Gippsland dairy farmer Stephen Dwyer speaking there with Fiona Broom you're listening to the country out of the rain as we discussed last week on the country hour means many different things to many different people and for a lot it has been good probably no more so than the sheep and lamb markets last week huge rises in those markets for producers selling through sale yards but coming from a very low base as we've discussed often with uh, the falling prices this year to have a look at exactly what's happening and what it all means matt dalglish can join you now from episode 3.net he is also known as meat watcher for his work looking at meat commodity markets hi matt g'day warwick thanks for having me uh first things first um what happened last week how big were the price rises yeah if you're looking at trade lamb that was uh, about a 45 cent increase on the week um, up to 482, and mutton was the big mover, uh, up 61 on the week. National mutton indicated a 174. I think that was the biggest weekly move up we've ever seen on mutton uh, on record. So it was quite a good turnaround. Yeah, so record breaking in terms of a weekly move in, in mutton prices, and the market needed it, didn't it? I suppose from a producer perspective. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's it's been a, a lot of negative news with the slide we've seen in pricing this year and, and also that unseasonal movement down in pricing through winter uh, that we saw as well, which was um, you know, normally we're getting peak pricing for, for you know, mutton and lamb through winter, but this time around it didn't eventuate. So it was nice to see um, the, the market recover a bit. So is that what the market required? It needed farmers to bring the competition into the market and start either holding their stock or, or buying stock because they're going to have grass to uh, to sort of carry that stock through and put pressure on processes to spend some dollars. Is that what's happened here? A lot of it is, uh, you know, a confidence thing and confidence can drive market or expectations. So that good amount of rain we saw, you know, it was pretty widespread, um, allowed for, for farmers to have a bit of flexibility for sure. And, and it brought that confidence in, but it also allowed for some of the um, the very big turnoff we've been seeing through that winter period to um, to subside a bit. And, and a lot of this year has been a story of a bit of a glut, you know, at a difficult time in terms of animals being brought forward or turned off. So it just provided a bit of demand balance there. And, and um, you know, the other aspect too is that, you know, the export markets have been really firing, whether you're looking at lamb or mutton. September was no different. So um, it's nice to see a bit of that demand balance come back to the market and supporting price a little bit. Yeah, so the demand has always been there, even though the prices haven't been this season. It has been, yeah. If you look at, I mean, September was it was another strong month, whether it was lamb or mutton. Um, the exports for September for lamb were twenty six percent higher than last September. Um, and it, and if you compare the last five years of every September over the last five years, lamb exports were fifty two percent higher. So it's really strong lamb. And and the US is a market that was a bit weaker in the start of the year, but in the last few months, the demand for Australian lamb in the US has really started to pick up again, which is a good sign. And if you look to mutton, uh, September was 30% higher uh, than last September, uh, as in this September was 30% higher. And, and compared to that five-year average uh, for September, it was 14%. But the big story with mutton has been the appetite that China has been showing. Um, this year, they're 45% of our mutton exports. Um, and if you look at the whole year so far, compared to the five-year trend, Chinese demand's up 80% for Australian mutton. So that's just been a, a stellar year for demand for mutton in China. So we heard a lot during some of uh, the the high pricing years for Australian sheep and lambs that processors weren't making any money. They'd be losing a lot of money. If the demand's there and they haven't been paying much, processors should be making quite a lot of money right now, shouldn't they? Yeah, look, it is part of a cycle, these things. And and you're right that the pendulum has swung back uh, towards the processor now with this low price environment and the demand being good. Um, you know, and, and, and that's that's what we see, you know, uh, when I think you had Patrick Hutchinson on just a bit earlier as well talking about it, and he's mentioned too that, you know, there wasn't as much um, being being discussed around the very high price environment we saw uh, last few years, and, and obviously farmers were benefiting and the pendulum was in their favour, and that's a good thing for the farmer. This is just part of this cycle now where that pendulum swung a little bit back away from the farmer and, and, and maybe more towards the processes for sure. So my next question was going to be how long then does this bump in prices for sheep and lambs that we saw with the rain last week continue for and and Matt I can give you the heads up I think we got Tim Delaney at Bendigo going to report later today uh, he's sort of just text through three to eight jump for new season lambs three to eight dollar jump for new season lambs and old lambs but sheep 15 to 20 dollars cheaper so maybe maybe that uh that rain bump hasn't lasted all that long at all 
Yeah, that's right. And look, I'm surprised to hear that lambs are jumping as well because we are just heading into the Victorian flush. So, you know, as we get you know into late October and probably more into November and late November, we start to see some very big volumes of new season lambs presenting. Um, you know, towards that back end of November, you can it's not surprising to see over 100,000 head presented at Victorian sale yards in in a week. So, so we've got a bit of a supply to get through, but. You know, the processes know that that's coming too, so they'll be actively um, you know, ramping up their operations, trying to secure as much staff as they can or put on extra shifts to clear that. Um, so hopefully we don't see as big a price fall um, you know, that we normally can sometimes see in spring. I think most of the corrections happened actually for, for that market. So um, I, I don't think prices are going to race ahead, uh, like you're saying. I think we're probably more looking at a bit of consolidation and, and a bit of sideways movement while we work through that spring supply of lambs. And then maybe as we head into next year and into autumn again, we might start to see that normal seasonal rise in. I think it's when we're going to see some significant price increases from where we are. Yeah, I was going to ask you what to watch, really, because what do you watch? You, you... The sales in the markets, international markets, are so strong, uh, uh, but prices at sale yards are, are, are poor. What do you watch? Is it processor capacity? Is it uh, weather reports? What's going to be the defining thing for the lamb and sheep markets over the next few months? Oh, look, I continue to always look to see what we're doing on that export side, and whether it's sheep meat exports or beef exports. You know, Australia is very heavily export focused. Um, on any given year, something like 70 to 75 percent of what we produce here uh, in terms of red meat goes overseas. So, you know, that's one I look at personally every month to see how well those key export markets are faring because the demand side of the equation is you know, part, of the, part of the issue. Um, and then obviously, like you're saying, that supply side. So how much um, compared to normal trends, how much are we slaughtering? How many numbers are going through? You know, compared to different different seasons we've seen in the past, and and are those processes, like you said, do they look like they're clearing that capacity, and and they're going through those numbers that are being presented? So, and that that provides us the supply side of the argument. So, they're probably the two key ones I'd be looking at. Matt Dalglish, great to have you on the program again. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, Warwick. Matt Dalglish, there from Episode Three Net, taking us through the. Rise, particularly last week in sheep and lamb markets, although, as we heard, I think we're going to hear in the Bendigo market, uh, hasn't exactly continued uh, later this week. But the 64% increase in the mutton indicator uh, was the biggest weekly rise in that indicator in prices uh, for a long time. But maybe, maybe it was a dead cat bounce. We'll have to wait and see as the week progresses in sheep and lamb markets. Uh, you can send me a text, 0467 842 Craig says, was... Simple fact is we need more processes. The centralisation of processing is a deliberate intent of multinational commercial interests and their excessive influence on government all under the false guise of food security. If COVID taught us one thing, we need more opportunities for processing, not less, says Craig. Uh, this one says, G'day, we're great to hear sheep lamb prices back on the rise after the rain. It took a long time for supermarkets to bring down the cost to consumers, even after the sale yard prices had been down for so long. I hope the supermarkets take as long as they did to bring the price to consumers down as they do to push the price back up. Farmers and supermarkets can make enough money without pushing shoppers further into the red. Interesting thoughts coming in. Keep them coming. 0467 842 722. Got the weather on the way right now, though. Let's find out what's making regional news headlines. Callum Marshall's in the studio for us today. Good afternoon, Callum. Good afternoon, Warwick. A coroner's court has found a southwest Victorian man intentionally shot and drove over two other men before taking his own life in a double murder-suicide last year. 
Today in the Coroner's Court of Victoria, Coroner Catherine Lorenz found 45-year-old Travis Cashmore opened fire on 50-year-old Kevin Knowles and 49-year-old Benjamin Ray in Kirkstall before taking his own life. The ABC understands Mr Cashmore pleaded with police to take action against Mr Knowles, a notorious career criminal, the week before the incident. A second hearing into the circumstances of Mr Cashmore's death will take place this afternoon. Several speed signs along the Calder Freeway from Melbourne towards Bendigo have been defaced to read NO. A vandalised 110 km per hour sign was photographed near the Castlemaine turnoff travelling towards Bendigo on Sunday afternoon. Two other signs in the Castlemaine area were still reading no on a Monday morning. The Department of Transport and Victoria Police have been contacted for comment. Multiple speed signs have been defaced to read no in regional South Australia in recent weeks. Australia's energy market operator has narrowed down the corridor that will house the controversial VNI West transmission line from Murray River to Bolgana. The route corridor, which was 50 kilometres wide, is down to 2 kilometres and skips major town centres, including Charlton, Bort and Kerrang. Transmission company Victoria says they contacted about 40% of affected landholders that were in the footprint ahead of the announcement. But Grigory North farmer Rachel McIntyre says the information they received wasn't new or as detailed as what the company published. A man will appear in Albury local court today, charged after a toilet was allegedly set alight in Albury at the weekend. Emergency services were called to a shopping centre in Lavington at around midday on Saturday following reports a disabled toilet was on fire. The centre was evacuated and the fire was extinguished. No injuries were reported. A 20-year-old Albury man has been charged for allegedly lighting the fire. And that's the latest in news. For more, you can head to abc.net.au forward slash news. Thanks very much for that, Callum. Callum Marshall there with regional news headlines. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Uh, got this text, though, too, from Jack saying there's a rogue dog on the loose in the Muckleford Walmer area. Lost on Friday evening, two pregnant ewes and five lambs were sighted attacking my sheep. Big dog looking white, grey with dark patches, says Jack. Warning to those out in that area and a good reminder to the rest of you, certainly if you've got large dogs, they do well if you let them run around. We had a horrific case from WA recently in our rural news where uh, the Shire had to track and kill down some dogs that were pets going out and killing all sorts of animals on people's properties. So uh, if you have large dogs, make sure you know what you're doing with them. Keep them locked up. Uh, 0467-842-722 if you want to send us a text. Let's go to the Weather Bureau and find out what's happening weather-wise. Hopefully a calmer week weather-wise than what was experienced by many of you last week. Not saying the rain was bad because we've gone over that already, right? Just keep the text line friendly. Let's go to Lincoln Trainer, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. G'day, Lincoln. Good afternoon, Warwick. How are you today? I'm good. How's it looking today? It looks sort of beautiful, wow. sunny, light, fluffy clouds outside my Shepparton window. Well, that is fantastic. Yeah, it's actually quite sunny in the north, uh, across central and northern parts. It's a little cloudy on the south. Um, but, you know, yeah, it is relatively settled. We have a ridge over us and it's directing some southerlies and that brings in a little bit of cloud on the coastal fringes and then it, it's fairly sunny elsewhere. But keeping temperatures relatively low. So, um, yeah, for today, cool conditions, high teens grading to, I suppose, low to mid-20s uh, through the central parts and then warm in the northwest. 
Um, obviously, people still probably got a little bit of last week on their mind. Um, we do have five minor flood warnings there, Thompson, Latrobe, Yarra, Kiowa and Goulburn. Four finals for Mitchell, Ovens, Broken River and Sevens Creek. There is a marginal sheep graziers warning out, but there's not much rainfall around um, for today and tomorrow. Um, in terms of Tuesday, we're thinking the high is going to move further over southern Victoria with some frost and fog across central parts in the northeast, partly cloudy in the southern and uh, in the south and sunny in the north. Um, with temps similar to Monday, so similar to today, high teens in the south grading to warmer, low low 20s in the north and mid to high 20s in the northwest. Mildura always getting the warmest. Uh, Wednesday, we see now the first maybe interesting feature of the week, a front approaching in the bite, and we're expecting widespread fog at first across most of the state and frost in the central and northern eastern parts. Then winds turning northerly during the day, creating a very sunny day with mild to warm temps across the southern half and low to, with low to mid 20s, tending hot in the northwest. Um, slightly elevated fire danger ratings um, of high in the Mallee and Wimmera. It won't be a warning, but just to be aware, it's going up a little bit. Um, Thursday, the front begins to cross the state. It's, it's where we get a little bit of severe potential severe weather um, from the west early, creating fresh gusty northerlies, becoming uh, potentially damaging over elevated areas. We're seeing over 110 kilometres an hour over elevated areas during Thursday with the passage of this front ahead in the northerlies. There also could be some thunderstorms in the eastern half of the state during the afternoon with a bit of heating. Um, we will see some rainfall with the passage of this front, nothing like last week, but we could see some possible falls of up to 20 millimetres in the east. This could cause some isolated miners uh, flood warnings, oh. but uh, but uh, nothing. We're, we're thinking it's low risk, but we want to be really careful and monitor it because it's very saturated in parts of the state at the moment. Um, and then that's low risk, but monitoring closely. And then temps will be mild in the western half and warm in the eastern half as the front arrives. Um, it will actually be 28 at Bansdale on Thursday and 25 at Sale before that front arrives in the afternoon. There will be, again, slight elevated fire danger in the west, in the Mellon Wimmera first with those northerlies to keep an eye on that. Um, then Friday, next ridge builds uh, over Victoria, creating a southwesterly airflow and isolated showers across southern parts. And it's really kind of returning to cooler conditions, high teens, uh, low 20s in the north. Saturday, similar, um, isolated showers mainly in the south, high teens in the south, slightly warmer in the northwest. And then Sunday gets even a little bit cooler. We have mid-teens in the south and a little warmer in the north. But fairly cool uh, and slightly wet conditions Friday. I know you're going to be going to hit me on Thursday. What, what's your questions for Thursday now? <laughs> you're ready. I like this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, so when's that likely to hit and pass across the state, those thunderstorms and that rain? Okay, uh, Thursday afternoon. 
Thursday so afternoon. Thursday yep. afternoon, we're expecting to see a little bit of rainfall uh, across, you know, the Yarra Ranges and up into the Eastern Ranges. There could be some rainfall in East Gippsland. It's not going to. It's not a low pressure system. This is a frontal passage, and so this frontal passage will bring the showers with it as it passes. But there could be some falls with that passage during Thursday. Uh, as I said, up to 20 mils in some of those parts. Again, I've been talking to the flood team. Uh, they're thinking, you know, it's probably not enough to go to get two bigger rises, mm. but we're going to be watching really closely to see if anything changes. Tim, who's probably on holidays from the sound of it, because we've got a text from Tim from Noosa, uh, wondering about rain for the Southwest Vic. He's saying every app is currently saying something different. Does that go to how volatile uh, some of these systems are? Yeah, it would be. It would be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, ultimately, showers is very hard because it's really an unstable airflow, so the models don't pick it up. So some do, some don't. And a southerly is just, it just can randomly create a shower, whereas a weather pattern like a front, you can really be focused and say, yep, that's where the the rain's going to hit. So it really depends on the process. That's my answer to that. (laughs) And flood warnings at a current. We've got a few final flood warnings today, a few miners left behind. Yes. How how long until most of them clear through? Well, the the team has said in the next one to two days we're hoping those to ease uh, completely. Um, There are a few that might linger. Um, They're kind of looking at those, but nothing significant. They are easing. There's kind of, you know, we've got another... Next three days is relatively dry. Uh, It's this Thursday. The team... monitoring and and looking at that really closely to see if there's going to be any impacts and at the moment they're saying you know it's uh, very low risk but there could be a couple of miners in those wet parts and uh, you've covered off on the sheep grazies is there anything else we need to know there is nothing you else you need to know warwick (laughs) well done lincoln really appreciate it uh very thorough today gold star yeah. Thanks, mate. Appreciate <laughs> it. Have a great day. Senior forecaster at the Weather Bureau, Lincoln Trainer. Ready, ready for my questions. He knows I want to talk rain. Uh, 1300 two is the number you can call. You can text too, just like Tim did. If you want a question to the Weather Bureau, we love personalised weather reports. 0467 842 722. Happy to put that to the Bureau on your behalf. Have a text here after uh, the regional news headlines on the issue of transmission lines. We're going to talk more about that shortly on the Country Hour. Right now though, uh, we'll continue our discussion of sheep because whilst we've been talking falling or rising prices at sale yards and where the sheep industry is at the moment, there may still be the challenges and there may still be market conditions, but there are still farmers committed to sheep and making some rather large investments, not only in purchase, but in moving sheep around the country. Victorian farmer Charlie Sullivan is a case in point. He's just purchased the entire Sheepmaster parent stud stock from Great Southern in Western Australia from the breed founder Neil Garnett. The sale price is undisclosed, but Charlie Sullivan says he's excited to take ownership of the entire breed. We think it's a, an amazing opportunity. Uh, Neil and the Sheepmaster team have done an amazing job in getting the stud to where it is now and we see our purchase and the opportunity that we have to take the business on uh, and the breed on to the next level is just a, a fantastic opportunity and we're, we're very excited by it. Now, you've purchased this stock at a time where confidence is a bit low in the sheep industry. Why are you so confident with this purchase? Yeah, so good question. So um, I think there's, a, there's short-term pain. There's short-term pain in the livestock industry, but 
we are playing the long game. Um, that's why the ewes that we bought as part of this sale are, are really important. We're not thinking about, well, we need to um, get to the market with progeny right away. It's you know We're very confident in the long-term prospects for the sheep and lamb market in the country, as I think producers are nationally at the moment as well. It's just a tricky time. There's a lot of factors that are going into that, but we're really confident in the next 12, 24 months that there'll be a significant turnaround in that and we'll get back to back to levels. May not be the same levels that we've seen, the record levels, but we don't need to get to that to create a really sustainable business. So, I mean, that's for the sheep industry across the country. So, we're really confident in that. So, now that you have the sheep master, master breed, what are your plans with the stock? Yeah, so certainly initially it's it's... It's business as usual. So we've got a number of rams uh, that we're looking to get into the market uh, as soon as possible, starting with the sale um, of the stud size uh, at White, White Dog Lane, which was the planned sale previous to the sale of the flock. And then we're breeding, uh, joining all the ewes within the next week. And then, yeah, we're going to go from there. So the important thing is that we get the stock across to Victoria and to New South Wales, get them settled in, get them established, um, and then, yeah, we, we'll go from there. Long term, where do you see yourself taking this breed? So certainly we see applications for the for the sheep internationally. So we already have daughter studs established in New Zealand. Um, so that's an obvious export market, if you like, given it's our closest neighbour and our easiest trading neighbour. So to build on, on that, absolutely, and then to look further afield. So, And it's not anywhere that people run sheep either. It's where people run cattle as well. We see an application for these sheep. You might have seen that the, the slogan is the small cattle breed. I mean, I can assure you they're easier to run than my cattle. They require less management. So, yeah, we can see application for these in a lot of areas. How many animals do you need to get across the border? Yeah, so there'll be approximately 1,500 that'll make the, the 3,500k journey. Predominantly uh, by the end of November, a lot of those will be over here and on the ground and settling in. And then the, yeah, the remainder will be early next year if there is any left. What sort of response have you received so far since this purchase? Yeah, well, it has only been a short time, but it's uh, yeah, a lot of messages. Uh, so and a lot of interest in, in what we're doing over here, yeah. <laughs> wow, and what are your thoughts on the price that you paid for it? Uh, yeah, very confident. There was great intent in the negotiation. Neil and the team over there were, were keen to get a sale through and we were really keen to get our hands on it. So um, the process was really well handled and managed by elders and, yeah, we, we're extremely confident that it was a win-win transaction. That's Victorian farmer from Merton in Victoria, Charlie Sullivan. He's the purchaser of the Sheepmaster seed stock property. Oh, well, not property, but the herd from Great Southern in Western Australia. Flock, I should say, not herd. Oh, God, I'm getting myself in trouble today. Speaking there to Sophie Johnson uh, about the purchase and the massive task to move the stock from WA to Victoria. It is fascinating 
to hear that as well. You're listening to the Country Hour. Warwick Long with you on the program today. As you heard in our news headlines this lunchtime, the uh, Australia's energy market operator has narrowed down the corridor that will house the controversial V&I West transmission lines, which take renewable energy from Bulgana through to the grid at the Murray River. The route corridor was 50 kilometres wide. It is now down to just two kilometres Skips major town centres, including Charlton, Bort and Kerrang. Transmission company Victoria says they contacted about 40% of affected landholders uh, in the footprint ahead of the major announcement, which came out, lo and behold, on a Friday afternoon. Let's hear more from one affected farmer. Now Ben Duxon is at Wallaloo, which is in the southern Wimmera, a mixed farming enterprise, and can join you now. Ben, welcome back to the Country Hour. Afternoon, Warwick. How are you going? So what did you find out about how this will affect you on Friday? Uh, no, I found out on the interactive map. So um, uh, we've had a number of uh, ways people have been finding out. They've been driving up people's driveways, which they're not allowed with biosecurity issues. Um, they've been calling people. Uh, they've been visiting people in town. And, and one of the most disgusting things they're doing is is picking on uh, some of the women around the area. Like we're at 20k radius around here. We've had four occasions where they've gone and um, driven up houses of uh, single women, widowed women, uh, someone that's had a uh, husband just moved into palliative care or someone in town as well. So um, that's their, that's part of their tactics. Um, they're leaving messages, on, leaving information packs on gates. and, and uh, I suppose you'd want them to that. talk to as many people as possible who would be affected by this, to be fair, though. Yeah, How will it, how will it affect you? How, how will the two-kilometre... Uh, transmission line zone now transect with properties that you're operating? Yep, proposed to come through uh, part of our property a bit further south than us, but um, also proposed to become within uh, 500 to a kilometre metres of our house as well. So um, massive implications of uh, of uh, our farming and, and our uh, livability in this area as well. So, so it'll affect um, you in two ways. It'll come close to the house, but it'll also go through the property. 100%, yep. yep. How, how do you feel about that? Oh, no, that makes you angry. And this project doesn't have to go ahead. The whole government needs to rethink their energy plan. There's um, wind and solar lines are so, you know, 2010. Every other country is getting out of this um, sort of uh, regenerative sort of uh, generational uh, energy and uh, we're just getting into it and, uh, you know, we're not against it but we're certainly saying that there's better alternatives out there and you don't need to be putting 70 to 100 me- 120 metre easements through prime cropping country. Like um, food security has to have a real issue here. If we're And our state government said that they're talking putting 70% of uh, regional Victoria under solar farms, wind farms and transmission lines. Like what, what happens to our food security and all that sort of stuff through prime agricultural land? Sounds like you're against it. <laughs> Very much so. Have been. But I, I, there's no one along the line, Warwick. There's not one person from the bottom bottom of it to the, the top of it that wants to host these transmission lines and that sort of thing. So there's, there's no way this, this uh, project's going to get through. They'll, they'll have to go on to, to farms and compulsory acquire land and, and we'll chain ourselves to bulldozers and trucks and all that sort of stuff. That's not going to be a good look. But there's not one person that wants anything to do with this project. And in terms of the frustration of finding out, finding out on a Friday afternoon that there's an interactive map and putting your address in and then working out it affects you what 
how has that experience been for you and, and the other people in your community who have had to go through that? Uh, no, nothing surprises with this AEMO mob. They are completely incompetent of dealing with with people on the land. Um, they, from from day dot, they have botched every meeting that we've ever had to. They've lied to us. Um, they don't they don't tell tell us any information. Um, very vague and all that sort of stuff. Like we expect it from these people. Um, the the AEMO uh, brand is just rubbish to us. Like they they have no no feelings, compassion for anyone out in the land, and the amount of exile anxiety it's it's turning into people like we're, we're talking generations here older generations younger generations uh men and women and, and children and that sort of stuff and and their heightened anxiety is huge and and you know we all knew the line was coming but as soon as they find out then the anxiety anxiety levels lift again and um it's just a a, a big mental drain on people's uh you know, and Ben, I'm conscious. I'm conscious of time. I'm just heading yeah. to the market soon. But now that the corridor is not 50 kilometres, now it's down to two. Do you think that yep. will reduce the amount of, um, you know, uh, the of ill feeling towards this project uh, project in your community? Now that fewer farmers will be individually affected. Uh, not at all, no. Very united group. Um, one of the most united groups that, that I've ever seen in this area. There's people outside that area, our area, that are fighting for us as well. So, no, the, the, we're 100% united and up for a fight. Like, I've, I've never seen more people so angry. We had a meeting on Friday night and, and people are absolutely beside themselves with anger and, and uh, the way AMO is conducting themselves. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Uh, and I, I imagine we're going to hear more about this project as it progresses. But it, it's good to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks once again, Warwick. Uh, ben Duxon there from Wallaloo East, uh, Southern Riverina, speaking to you on the country hour today. It's time for Livestock Markets now. Well, we've been building up to this anyway. Got to mention earlier on in the program as we were talking sheep and lamb prices after the largest mutton rise on the indicator in the history of those records for Meat Livestock Australia. We better check in on how markets are operating today. Bendigo Sheep and Lambs is exactly where we'll start. Tim Delady has those for us today. Take it away, Tim. Good afternoon. A similar number of 19,360 lambs at Benigo. Quality was mostly good after last week's rain. Uses in lamb supply continue to flow in, taking the majority with 12,400 offered. Many runs of young heavy lambs and very good tray weights. The market was generally three to eight dollars stronger, especially on the heavy and the tray weight lambs. They ranged in average from 470 to 530 cents. Restockers paid from 31 to 125 dollars. Heavy old merino lambs made to 152, with the better younger merino lambs making from 92 to 96 dollars. Light young lambs for prices made from 29 to 64 dollars. Light tray weight sold from 66 to 96. Tray weight new season lambs sold from 100 to 128 dollars, averaging an estimated 505 to 520 cents. Heavy lambs 25 to 26 kilograms worth from 125 to 143 dollars. Heavy export category sold from 130 to 152. Sheet numbers jumped by 10,000, approximately 14,000. Prices were from $15 to $25 cheaper due to less buyers being active and less demand. The medium to heavy sheep sold $24 to $53 with still more mutton to be sold. Tim Delaney reported for MLA Bendigo. Oh, so it still goes on after those big rises last week. Looks like big falls again, particularly in the sheep side of things uh, this week. We'll have to keep an eye on that, obviously, as we go through this period of 
plenty of supply in sheep and lamb markets. Let's go to the cattle side of the equation. Now we'll start today in Wagga Wagga. Good afternoon, Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. Numbers jumped up to 3,760 due to last Monday's public holiday. Quality was fair to very good with good numbers of stock grass finished. The cattle market continued to struggle as numbers outpaced demand. Overall, prices softened with the exception of cows. Steers back to the paddock tumbled 30 cents, 160 to 215 for the lighter weights. Feeder steers were back 10 to 15 cents, 178 to 230. Trade steers 160 to 230 with a single steer out to 298. Trade heifers 146 to 225, feeder heifers 151 to $2 for the medium weights, heavy steers were back 5 to 8, 180 to 256, bullocks softened 2 to 3, $2 to 237, heavy cows gained 2 to 5, 159 to 185, and the middle run jumped 10, 120 to 166. I'm Leon Ducks for MLA. Thanks, Leon. Let's go to Mortlake now and Chris Agnew. Take it away, Chris. Thanks, Warwick. A large increase this week at Mortlake, up to 946, an increase of 320. Cow numbers and trade cattle numbers doubled, showing a slightly better quality overall. There was a good mixture of beef and dairy cows, with the top end displaying a better quality than previous offerings. Bullocks were dominated by manufacturing steers, showing some good quality in places. The market showed some resilience to be firm over most sections, excepting the yearling heifers, they came back by 15 cents a kilo. Trade steers and heifers made between 190 and 280 cents. Grown cattle topped at 260 cents. Manufacturing steers made from 145 to 212 cents. Good beef cows sold from 150 to 182 cents a kilo, with the medium weights 120 to 145. Dairy cows generally made between 140 and 160 cents. At Mortlake, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Let's go to Packenham Cattle. Lucky last on our market run on a Monday. Brendan Fletcher's there. G'day, Brendan. G'day, Warwick numbers increased to 780, that's 250 more with a domestic retailer rejoining the regular buyers in a mixed market. Quality improved again with a better prime selection and fewer cows. Trade steers eased up to 20 cents on some sales while the heifer portion held firm. Finished bullocks lifted 5 cents, Frisian manufacturing steers gained 10, the better finished crossbreds lost 10. Cows sold 10 to 15 dearer with processors loading cows for an estimated 265 to 354 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Heavy bulls eased 10. Vealers sold from 200 to 280, yearling trade steers 224 to 280 after a top of 310, the heifer portion 210 to 272 after a top of 310. Ground steers 193 to 290, bullocks 240 to 278, heavy Friesian steers 148 to 215, crossbreds 199 to 266. Most light and medium weight cows 82 to 160, heavyweights 150 to 195, heavy bulls 204 to 260. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thank you very much for that, Brendan. A few of your texts coming in in regarding to the two-kilometre uh, corridor now for the V&I West project to connect that uh, renewable energy at Bulgana through to the Murray River. She's not happening, Warwick. They're wasting their time, says one text message here. Another one, two-kilometre radius is right on the edge of town in Tregal near Kerrang. Uh, and there's this one saying, stop the transmission lines. The township of Sananad will be under a huge fire threat from these lines and the restrictions placed on firefighters to fight fire. We don't want another King Lake, says Frank at Mitchell's Hill as well. 0467 842 722 is the number you can 
Send us a text on. Uh, John in Smythesdale is wondering about his chances of frost from now on on the west side of Ballarat for the tomato plant. Happy to put that question to the Bureau tomorrow, John. And happy for you to hold me to account. You can send that again through on tomorrow's program. We'll be back with you on the Country Hour again. Same time tomorrow. Remember, you can always email us, countryhour at abc.net.au. And you can listen to the podcast whenever you want. In the ABC Listen app, just download that, search Victorian Country Hour, or just download it in wherever you get your podcasts. Have a listen on the go, wherever you are. I'll catch you tomorrow. It's one o'clock.